When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome to Real Vision Crypto. Enjoy today's show. Hello and welcome to Real Vision, the Defiance weekly gallivant through the big stories, gouging our gullets with their unbelievability. It's a twin shot of liquid limey as we are blessed by the monthly airdrop that can only be Ralph Powell. Well, I try desperately not to drop the ball with a voice that seems to be dropping further with every passing second. I am Robin Schmidt, the Defiance Head of Video, and recently returned from the Arctic, where we were burying NFTs in the permafrost. Maybe we will bury them in the dust where they belong today. Raoul, how are you? It's good. It's just the Batman and Robin show today. It's just the two of us. Yeah, but, but which one are you? Are you Batman, then? I think I'm going to have to be. I'm not oh, a particularly good God. Batman, but I'll take it Let's, for now. Just play the age card. That'll do it. <laughs> Bat- Batman's old and twisted and, and has severe emotional problems, so it's fine. <laughs> I could just be the, the prancer in tights. And we will be doing some prancing today because I'm going to give you some crap. You Good. bought a board ape. You bought a board ape. I did. And for a number of different reasons. Okay. Tell me. And it's not to do with wanting to be part of a, a group of 33-year-old blokes. Um, it's actually because I think that I have had a long-held hypothesis that the NFT world is morphing into the um social token world and that they're going to create network effects around these kind of projects whatever they lead to and i have been following this story then i saw yuga labs purchase of the lava labs properties of MeBits and crypto punks and i've also been following people like timberland the music producer who had apes in production and has built an nft record label and, you know, they presented it to the uh, crypto event we had in Vegas, the takeover. Really interesting. I sat down with with those guys and the Madden brothers to talk about what they're doing. Then I obviously saw um, Adidas getting involved with Bored Ape. Then we've seen the rolling out of the teaser of what Yuga may be doing with this cartoon or game, which is bringing together other crypto communities as well. That was really interesting. Then we've seen that Animoca is about to launch something which we don't know what it is but it's clearly a game of some sort and then the and then the social token drop so suddenly we've gone from this community of blokes uh, wearing hoodies to a much broader potential participation in a media brand a 3.0 media brand and i know you've got opinions about the decentralization of it and other elements of it but for me it's like okay this is a giant step forwards and that's why I wanted a stake in that network. So I think of the NFTs as an asset within that network, whether it's digital IP or whatever, But this and the social tokens is how you reach mass scale. Now, yet to be proven, yet to know the utility, yet to see how this plays out, yet to figure out whether there's going to be staking. Lots of dot, dot, dot don't know, but the dot, dot, dot don't know tends to skew risk reward in the favor of it being something worth participating in. So that's, that's my thesis. So I bought... Two board apes the day after the drop. Because this I, is why was, you're better than I am. I'm not good but, at it. But I was hanging out with a bunch of kind of NFT 
superheroes as they were at the time. And uh, and there was just this kind of energy around them. And I and I picked up two because I thought, why not? There was really no rhyme or reason. And like they, I think the price was something in a region of 0.1 ETH at the time. Which sounds ridiculous when you say it now, because we look at this thing and go, 100 ETH? Are you kidding me? I paid 140 but, ETH for mine. So, yeah, so the, the, this is is the thing that people get really angry about because they see these, as they say, fugly cartoon apes that seem to express the very worst instincts of this space. I'm wearing a bored ape hoodie today, not because I feel like I belong to the tribe. It's just a really nice quality hoodie. But it it I am the douchebag, basically. I'm the guy that did the things that everyone says is bad about this. I bought in early and I bought in just on a whim because I kind of enjoyed them. I actually ended up giving away five of them to some friends uh, because I, I, want, I wanted them to have exposure to NFTs and I thought it would be nice for us all to be in this gang together. But at, at no point did I ever think this is going to be the future of the metaverse. But I think your points are all valid because what Yuga Labs has done is they've managed to take something that was basically just a scrappy community that was deliberately set up when it sort of formed to be a counter movement to crypto punk maximalism effectively. CryptoPunks and those who owned CryptoPunks were the douchebags and the, the board apes were not. They quickly became douchebags and they became obsessed with the floor price and, and flipping punks. And MeBits was seen as the worst instinct of Lava Labs just, you know, making a ton of money overnight and then doing nothing with it. So board apes were, the community said, we're going to be industrious, we're going to create, we're going to be the people that take this IP on and make something of it. But it is fascinating that it's actually the central entity, Yuga Labs, and I think we can call it that, it's a central entity that has moved most aggressively to create value in what they think is the metaverse. And it does raise these questions about what is the decentralized piece of this and what, what, is, what is this coin and who are the, the forces behind it? And when I, when I did my first kind of analysis of it, it just felt like the early days of Facebook. It felt like all these big names just kind of circling around and going, there's something here. And if we all plug in our collective skill sets, we will elevate it to make it the next Facebook. It just feels like that's what's happening I, here. And I get that. So here's, I'm going to give another perspective. CryptoPunks is Bitcoin and Bored Apes is Ethereum. Yes. One you build on top of and has network effects. The other is a pure asset that has bragging rights, essentially. You know, And yes, I understand what you're saying, but we don't go to utopia overnight. It is a huge move towards a decentralized community that has some centralized elements. And I don't have a problem with that because there is no metaverse. There's no one single metaverse. So you either own the eight token and be part of this one or you choose not to. But it's not like Yuga Labs are going to control the world. They're just going to be a significant player for the foreseeable future, whatever that is. And it could fail. So I, I, I said exactly that. Bitcoin is punks and Ethereum is, is apes about a year ago when I, I made a big film about the launch of the apes because I was trying to understand what on earth was going on here. And I spoke to Pranksy who minted a thousand of them. He, he owned a thousand apes and he sold every single one of them like ages ago because he was so sick of it. And like, he's gutted. And he, he's, he's literally, he wants to take a break from this space. <laughs> I actually think, I actually think that the board apes are both Bitcoin and Ethereum. That's what's so fascinating here, that the ape originals are like Bitcoin, and that's fine. And they're very scarce. 
but the entire ecosystem, like mutants and everything else, allow it to be Ethereum as well. I think CryptoPunks are, are this sort of strange curio that sort of sits there, but it doesn't hold the same preeminence within the NFT space that Bitcoin does within the altcoin space. And so I think the, the analogy is correct, or at least it was six months ago, but I don't think it's correct anymore. And I think what, what's really fascinating about this is the way that the ApeCoin dropped. And if you went back to the tweet that Ugolabs put out, I think it was November last year, they were talking about an ApeCoin and how they would do it and the legal ramifications of doing that and how they would set it up. They actually set it up as a DAO and they set it up in a way to protect themselves, create the illusion of decentralization. And they set it up in the Cayman Islands of all places. So I went around digging for some kind of legal frameworks of all of this. And I found a, a blog by Decentral Park Capital where they were talking about two separate, what they call wrapped DAO structures. And the wrapped DAO is a, an entity or a structure that was originally proposed by A16Z. And it's telling that A16Z have now invested heavily in Yuga Labs. So there's all this kind of stuff going on that appears to now make a lot of sense. But one of the things was you can have a Cayman Foundation concept or you can have a Panama Private Interest Foundation. I don't know anything about either of those two things. I, I was hoping you might be able to enlighten me. I do, because we're looking at launching a Real Vision token. And, you know, we've launched an NFT and we're going to create NFT communities. So we have to go down this path. So, you know, I saw your great video, you know, just raising questions about all of this stuff you put out a couple of days ago. Um, and so we also deal with Fenwick and West, which are the best lawyers in the entire crypto space that deal with absolutely everybody who dealt with the ape token. So the general understanding is to launch a token, you could run into legal issues because there's no legal clarity. So you need one um, stage of removal from, um, from legal process because it's unclear. So that's what the DAO structure is used for. So the DAO structure, because therefore nobody fully owns it, it's community owned and over time, it probably broadens in its distribution. The reason it's in the Cayman Islands is because the legal jurisdiction makes it easy to do because there's legal clarity around DAO structures. And everything is done in the Cayman Islands because of something called tax neutrality. So tax neutrality means if you're a UK investor and I'm a American investor and somebody else is a Japanese investor and somebody South Korean, you have a massive tax mess when you launch something. So I've launched a crypto fund of hedge funds and it's based in the Cayman Islands, not because for tax avoidance or anything of that sort or any weird stuff. It's because if not, everyone gets taxed twice. So what it allows you is to pay tax in your own country without having to pay tax in the Cayman Islands. So that's why they do it. So it's a very basic structure that gives you some legal clarity because what you don't want is to launch this thing and then everybody to get fined. It keeps it one degree of separation from the corporation that issues it or the community or the persons that issue it. So it's pretty normal um, to do that as a structure just because of how risky legally it is. And social tokens are still the new frontier. There's really no regulation on this yet. And everyone's terrified of is it a community or not, which is why the, the airdrop, you give it away for free as opposed to establishing price, then... Um, underneath the DAO structure as well, gives it something else, and then making sure you promise no gains and it's only utility. So everything is done to say, look, this is not a security. So it's a really complicated world and I understand why they did it. Yeah, I mean, that, that, um, that legal framework from A16Z, it, it says they, they raised the possibility of wrapping an entire DAO as a single UNA, which is a, an unincorporated nonprofit association 
which would basically allow them to to operate in their own country, but, but protected, as you said. And I, and I think we're going to see more and more of these kind of structures set up. But what's interesting about Bored Apes is that they, without ever intending... DAO, sorry, a lot of the DeFi structures are the same. They're all the same. Yes. So a lot and, of the and, Cayman Islands, you know, every week somebody calls me up and says, oh, we just moved to the island because we've had to set our, up our legal jurisdiction here. You know, one of the big DeFi protocols or crypto protocols, because they're all they all have to do it. Yeah, so there's, it's very clear that the SEC and the Gensler gang are moving to take down this idea of decentralization theater to, to punish those who are not decentralized. <clears throat> and so I was looking at other version three today. You go onto the other website and it automatically redirects you to an IPFS archive, which is community run. I've never seen that before. It's bizarre. If you were landing on that, you'd be like, where am I going? What is IPFS? There's just so much explanation that needs to happen. But yeah, because we even looked at it when we set up Real Vision is like, where do we host our videos? Because we've got an international audience. Uh, and could there be legal rulings where your videos are stored? So if they're streamed from a US AWS server, then are you a US entity? I mean, you don't know, because in this world of government's not having enough tax revenue, they will try every way to pin you down to their jurisdiction. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Absolutely. Well, you said something earlier, which was your thesis on this was that it was a move from social tokens to something broader, something bigger. And it's interesting you brought up Timberland because I, I remember when that project dropped and there was this really awkward video of Timberland sitting on his couch trying to explain what an NFT was. And it was clear he didn't have a clue. And he'd sort of been maneuvered into this position where he thought it was cool and he was in it, but the, the complexities of it, or even the simple version of it, he didn't have. And I'm curious whether you had that impression when you spoke with, with that team. No, so look, he's the artist and he doesn't claim to be the NFT expert. What he's saying and what he said very clearly is this gives me creativity that I didn't have before. It gives me new avenues for creativity. And that's why I like it. Uh, Joel and Benji Madden, um, who are from Good Charlotte, I think it was, um, the other partners in it, um, they're really smart guys. And they completely get it. But they also are coming from the artistic angle. Is this gives us a way of owning our rights and artistic rights across multiple media formats. And we can experiment and do new things. So they're actually coming in from artistic purity. And then there's some business people around them who I've met as well, who are just saying, listen, you know, NFTs are the way of doing this. And to create a decentralized or semi-decentralized record label based around NFTs is something worth trying. And I kind of applaud that. And they don't, the artist doesn't need to be the expert to be experimenting in the space. I kind of don't frown on it. I don't think they're being extracted. Timberland doesn't need the money. He's actually coming it from, you know, he's a really good guy and he's really trying to show that, you know, this is a way I, I want to try stuff because it's different. But, and also Timberland, lest we forget, was arguably the most innovative producer of 
you know, hip hop, R and B music in the noughties, even even to the tens, the stuff you did with Nelly Furtado, Missy Elliott, it's just bananas because he was just experimenting and you know, you see him work and it's just coming out of him and he's just like it's just like a little sound. He's an genuine innovator. So it's it's interesting to see what he will do with this. There is an, obviously a, an optics problem with Bored Apes. I don't know if you saw the Paris Hilton, Jimmy Fallon clip where they're talking to each other about something which has nothing in common with their audience. That was a really awkward moment just in general. And it, it's very easy to pour scorn on this space and particularly on the Bored Apes for just being completely elitist and not at all in the which spirit and values I, of the I hated it. I didn't want to be involved in it because I thought, you know, this is for a, for a movement that is all about democratization, you've created elitism. Because unless you have the 300 grand to pay, you can't participate. And I just said, I don't like that. But the social token changed everything for me. Because what it said was, everybody can be involved in this ecosystem now, but only certain people can be asset holders, premium asset holders. And I'm like, okay, that's okay. That's, that's good enough world. Now, could I fractionalize my board ape? Sure. So that's down to me now. So I kind of, it was, I had the, exactly the same thing at first. I just didn't like it. I thought it was a, just a community of blokes. Uh, and, you know, I remember um, Sergio Silva was filming outside the board ape meeting in New York. And it was just like a bunch of identical people uh, all queuing up to go to the party. And I thought, that's just not for me. I don't like, I'm not, I'm not a club membership guy. Um, but then it kind of changed. It's like, okay, this is a broader concept. Could this be a new media company? Um, and I know, as I said, I know that A16Z and everybody's involved, but I don't mind because it moves the space forward. It's better than not doing it. It, it definitely is better than not doing it. it I, I've been this on this bizarre journey with them. I never even had to think about it. I mean, I, I had one and it was great and, uh, and I've enjoyed owning it. And I've enjoyed the fact that I've owned it from a very kind of, favorable entry price because now I don't care about the money and I don't worry about the money. But what I'm, what I, what I was interested in was when I first made a film about them, it was really easy to reach the guys, Gargamel and, and no sass. It was really easy. Now you cannot, you no. cannot get anywhere near them. I had the same thing with the artifact, the team behind Clonex can't get anywhere near them. They are behind a legal wall now. And for obvious reasons, they are keeping their cards very close to their chest. I think that's sad because it used to be that you could have these very easy conversations and seek them out and, and it would be very straightforward. There is one team I can still do that with, which is the team behind Fluff World, ASM, and um, this is a Kiwi-based team that are doing a, a very interesting metaverse concept with Snoop. And I, I can have conversations with them all the time. They're great. They're very open. And I, I just hope we don't lose that um, and, forever. But this is what I love about this space because basically if you don't want to be part of the community. You just sell your token or your NFT and buy into another one. And I'm seeing that happen. You know, Sergio is one of the guys that I speak to a lot about NFTs and he got out of CryptoPunks. And, you know, he was a, you know, a staunch CryptoPunk and got into MeBits because he wants to be in a different community with different vibrancy. And, you know, he'd kind of lost the faith. And I can't like that because then the token value represents the value of the community and if the community is not good, the token value goes down. I mean, that's great. <laughs> you know, it's a self-selecting self process, yes. The, the, the issue is that it attracts people who are just going to squat on the assets and not really contribute. 
And I think that's the, it, you know, the status symbol part of it. It's a Rolex, it's a Lamborghini, but no, it's a board ape. And now I can make my own coffee cup. It's, it's, it's easy to criticize it. I, I'm, I'm conflicted. I, I love it. I hate it. I love it. I hate it. But, but and, I think the like, conflict is right. I don't think there's anything wrong with the conflict so, because there is no perfection in this. Um, and that's okay. It's like, you know, it's got its upside and it's got its downside. And I think that honest approach to it is the right answer. The honest approach to all of this stuff. You know, if the Bitcoin maximalist took an honest approach, the world would be a much easier place to say, yeah, you know what? It's moving the world forwards. It's pretty interesting, but it's not perfect. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, this is true. Everything has to be a battle. There has to be a big bad. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. It, in my kind of mental picture of these things that, you know, we talked about board being Ethereum and punks being Bitcoin. Of course, that that's slightly misleading because NFTs, are they exist in this strange space where they're able to evolve and move with the times and create their own history on their own terms, bizarrely. You can have an NFT that can spawn another NFT. It can spawn a baby version of itself that can be cheaper and can allow more people to, to gain access to the collection. And I think a lot of projects looked at Bored Apes and they forked it. You know, they forked the ideas they did, you know, Bored Apes at a, a kennel club because they were worried that their community was losing interest. So they, they airdropped these dogs and they use, those continue to have value, even though they're quite ugly, to be honest. But the, the shit coins can't do that. You can't just suddenly spin up like a, a duplicate collection of like double the supply of a brand new shit no, coin just the, out of nowhere. How I think of it is the composability factor, right? Because because of the open IP of Bored Apes, people can do stuff with it. So what you're doing is you've got a base layer like Ethereum and then an applications layer. That's how I'm kind of thinking about it. So the application layer is... The apes in production. There's, you know, what Adidas did. It's what Animoca are doing, right? And that's just the start. I mean, who knows? There could be a whole DeFi application based around this kind of thing once it comes to staking. Again, we don't know, but what it tells you, it's got a higher probability of network effects because there's more use for it. Well, CryptoPunks has no other use because that composability is not built in. And maybe you could try and introduce it, but it's I'm not sure it's possible because it's it's in the smart contract. Well, and they, they, they've sort of allowed it to be a, a, a possibility in this other side that they've teased. Yes. Whether it's a game. I mean, what you can see clearly from the signs that are out there, that this, what they're proposing, what they put together, the conversations they've had are enormous. And the whole, the whole point of what they were trying to do was to open up this ecosystem to a vastly larger audience. So if you think about 10,000 board Apes, I mean, I mean... There's a few people that've got like a hundred of them, so that's that. You can't own one. Basically, it's impossible to own one. So, what else can you do that, that opens this up so it's not elitist and everything else? And I think that it's going to be really interesting to see when they step into the into worlds that are more familiar to people, where their expectations are higher because they're used to seeing, you know, competing pro products or familiar products like a game that they know that works really well. When they step into that world, can they still compete? Who the hell? Who the hell knows? Do do apes themselves, because right now the demographic is is a problem. So for does that appeal to a hugely broad audience? I'm not sure. And right now the jury's out on that. Yuga, I get why they've just raised 450 million, because they could do this trick again. You know, there's fantastic projects like World of Women out there as well. You know, there's and that that was already featured in their other side thing. So they can change demographics, they can broaden it out, they can create different characters, different you know, ecosystems. So for Yuga, I get it, 
Bored Ape? I, I don't know. I don't know. But I wanted to participate because I have a belief in this structure of NFT surrounded by social tokens to create much larger movements. And so the, the, the ape that you bought is yeah. a bloodshot-eyed, he's wearing a laurel wreath. I kind of thought he looked kind of wise, maybe slightly tired. He looks drunk. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was, the, I think I liked it because it was, it was pretty pure. Um, and I liked the kind of, you know, least flashy element by just having a laurel wreath. I just kind of like the simplicity. Did, did, you, did you look at rarity? Because the laurel wreath is pretty rare, I think. Yeah, it is pretty rare. I did look at it, but it, it was just appeal to me. I just thought, well, you know, I don't know if I'm going to use it as my PFP either. Because again, I'm, I'm not trying to make the statement about that. I'm actually making the statement about, okay, this is, this is an interesting concept overall. So oh, it, it's, it, it's fascinating. The, the whole NFT space, is, it, it blows my mind. And it, it feels like I think people have thought this was where it would peak and there would be this insanity phase and it would just die. And yeah. actually, when, when, you, when you look at this now, you go, this is not dead. This it's is, not even this started. Is, this, is, this has inserted itself into pop culture. There is a seed here, and whether you like it or not, and a lot of people do not, it's, it's going to explode. And so I, I, you know, I've been talking about NFTs for, gosh, a long time now. And you know, this is from like 2018, been talking about NFTs. And to see where we are now, it feels like just the word NFT needs to go away. And then not be a thing anymore. And we can just talk about a you know a brand new phase in in culture and ownership and these kind of things. But we're still kind of stuck there at the moment. Talking about culture and being stuck in pop culture, Vitalik was on the cover of Time magazine. Did you read the article? Yes, I did. He's not a fan of apes. He's not a fan of apes. But I get it. He's a serious guy and he's wants serious stuff. Um, he doesn't look like a serious guy, though. When you look at him, you're like, who is this clown in his, uh, in his unicorn T-shirt? I, I, I really like that whole kind of thing because he is, I mean, he's like ludicrously young. He's, he's like an alien. And, you know, he gave us this alien project, which is Ethereum. And he's difficult to pin down, but he's kind of, I think he's evolving into a bit like Sam Bankman-Fried, some sort of pretty principled person. And I think that's interesting. It's good. The stewardship that he has, you know, he's not the richest man in the Ethereum space, which is kind of bizarre, but that's him. You know, this, what he did with the Shiba Inu, he could have been a, you know, a capitalist and he just kind of gave it away and said, look, it's not my project. It's not for me. Um, I don't know. I think he's a really interesting character. And I mean, and he's, he's actually not a bad communicator, even though he looks like he's so autistic, he couldn't communicate, but he's, he's actually pretty good. It's so funny how tech and, and the struggles of tech echo. Because I, I don't know, I've got a recommendation for you. There's a, there's a TV show called Valley of the Boom that was on National Geographic four years ago. And it talked about the explosion of um, the IPO phase, the Netscape um, Internet Explorer Wars. And you see a young Mark Andreessen struggling with his own fame. He famously went on the cover of Time Magazine wearing no shoes. He's in a, he's in a throne. And it feels like this Vitalik thing, they call him the Prince of Crypto. It's a really strong echo of that moment because Andreessen was incredibly awkward and he was taking on Microsoft and he was this hero of this new free open internet. He's, of course, A16Z now. And he's like, you know, very much establishment, big time investor. And it, it just fascinating to see how that IPO phase directly echoed by the ICO phase. 
They were literally the same mechanics at face. They it were. just happened a lot faster. It was exactly the same things going on. And now we're at this, this emerging new thing. And I know you're a, you're a big kind of proponent of the fourth turning and, and these kind of things and feeling where we are now. But I think one of the, the attributes of the fourth turning is that it's it, like culture goes first. And it's always artists that move into a new area and, and then create that gentrification, then it moves up. And that's sort of what's happening here. Do you, do you feel like that's right? Yeah, I mean, this is absolutely the fourth term. We're creating an entire parallel system of finance, money, value, everything, right? So it's a total rejection of everything that went before it. Or is, or, or, or is it simply a repetition of what went before it? Well, everything rhymes, right? Because it's very rare that something completely alien comes out of nowhere. So of apart course, from Vitalik. It, apart from Vitalik, maybe. Um, so yeah, maybe David Bowie, but the, the, maybe there's only there's only a few of those people. Um, yes, of course it rhymes because you know we, we only know how to do things in certain ways right now. But when we look back in thirty years, will it be even recognisable to what we're thinking now? Because we put this ability to morph a financial system in place because of the decentralized element. I mean, as you know, it's impossible to keep up because so many people are doing so much stuff. Um, that's unlike the financial system because that was centralized. So there, you know, it's going to be JP Morgan or Goldman Sachs or whoever who are pioneering the space because they've got a bunch of smart talent aggregated in one place and they get to do it. But here it can come from anywhere. And it's, you know, it's like this bushfire. It's kind of going on everywhere around you. You can't put it out. And you don't know where it's going to fully burn from. So, yeah, I, I think it's very forth turning to me. There, there was something you said earlier, which is, you know, if you want to exit a community, you can sell your token. I mean, it's not always possible to sell it, but you have that. <laughs> you have that right to exercise the option to sell your token. And there's a strong idea of agency here. I'm looking at this deal with with the board apes and everything else, and, I, and I'm seeing like the, the the return to some sort of formal corporate structures. But we do have a choice. And I think there's one thing about this space that still endures is the fact that you can decide to go elsewhere. You can decide not to use a centralized exchange. Those options are there. I don't know what regulation is going to do to that, but this important point of agency and having the power to determine your own destiny, it's still there. And I think for me, that's what Web3 should cling to no matter what regulation forces them to give up. It's, I think it. I think it is because everybody is fighting for it. But I always believe there's there's usually a grand compromise somewhere, and you know what's happening in Board Apes is one of those kind of compromises. Whether you want to accept it or not, I think we're still free to choose. As you as you say, let's hope that we get given that choice um, ongoing. It's interesting to see. You know, Barry Silbert is now talking a lot about. Zcash and stuff like this, which is essentially that freedom of choice. Um, you know, you know, a lot of these kind of privacy tokens, they, I find them difficult to invest in because you just don't know what the regulator is going to do. But I, I, I get it, right? That's just what people are saying there is we want the freedom of choice. I don't know what yeah, you think the, about those. Oh, gosh. The, 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 the privacy debate is so tough. I, I th we, we struggle with this at Harmony as well. That there has to be auditable privacy. So you have privacy to a degree. So you, you know, for, for instance, you could reveal that you have a position in something, but not necessarily the composition of that position, uh, because that would be giving something up. So th this, this idea of like, w where does the line sit and under what circumstances is it okay to divulge 
you know, there's, I see people saying, can you blacklist this address, please? You're like, well, why are you asking that? The whole point is you don't. I'm, and I'm getting airdropped so much garbage right now that I, ref I mean, you don't interact with it, but like, I can't stop that happening. And if I say, please stop this happening, then we're against the spirit of the thing in the first place. So it's, it's a, it's a really tough thing to straddle. And I guess someone somewhere is going to figure out that there's going to be a checkbox and would you like to receive garbage tokens? <laughs> would you like to receive yeah, NFTs? You'll be, be again reject button, much like you can reject your email. Um, you know, stuff like that. I think it's interesting. The other thing I want to hear from you is about your trip. Oh, yes. Well, so I went to the Arctic and to a lovely place called Longyearbyen, which is way up north. It's way north of Greenland, up in the Arctic Circle. So this is a fascinating place. And it's a, an archipelago of islands where, you know, 150 years ago, settlers landed and they found coal. You had Russian settlements and Norwegian settlements. But it was protected by the Svalbard Treaty, which means that it's a demilitarized zone. You cannot wage war there. You cannot take it over. You cannot invade. And it is a place where if you are, if you decide to go there, they can't kick you out and you can settle. And so there's no visa requirements. So it's a, it's a place which is very much like a crypto community, except in real life. They had their own money called Svalbard money, which you earn by mining. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Like, so you, you mined and they had their internal currencies. And it was basically a way for the, the massive mining company to keep real money for themselves. And then there was a sort of internal community. And of course, they were, they were cut off from the real world for six months at a time. So they had to sort of subsist on whatever they had. So they had to create their own money. Really fascinating place. And we were there because th this is the place where the world seed vault is housed. And this is the place that holds all the important seeds in the world. Syria's own seed vault was destroyed a few years back, and they had to go to this bank and withdraw seed samples so they could repopulate their own seed vault. So this is the most important crops, you know, in the world, rice and wheat and barley and these kind of things. Right next door to it is the Arctic World Archive, which is a repository for important digital artifacts. And there's documents from the Vatican. There's documents of uh, Edvard Munch's entire work is, is stored there. And there's also a huge repository from GitHub. So some of the most important open source software is stored there. And the way they store it is it's hard drives are notoriously non-robust over a long period of time because the technology moves so fast. So they scan QR codes and it just, you know, uh, identifying material onto film because film has been around for 150 years, like celluloid film the film you put through a projector and screen movies with, it's very, very robust. And the only technology you need to view it is a light source. So it's one of these incredibly robust digital archiving solutions that is from the past. And because Svalbard's um, ecosystem is, it's, you know, it's in the permafrost, it's a very secure, safe, stable environment around minus two degrees. They think that this film could last for around a thousand years, maybe even 2000 years without being disturbed. And all you would really need to know is, you know, can I shine a light through it? And if I can decipher what's there, what information do I need in order to understand what I, I'm here? So NFTs have this criticism that's thrown at them that, that you don't own the art, you only own a, a reference to the art. On-chain art doesn't suffer from that problem. So, you know, art blocks or cyber brokers, for instance, it's actually encoded into the blockchain itself. But a lot of art is, you know, referenced on AWS servers, so it could just disappear. IPFS itself, which 
sounds fantastic, but actually you only have a reference to the fact that the data might be there. And if it's only housed on one node, which is entirely possible, and that node decides, well, actually, I don't like your data, I'm going to store something else, it could go away as well. The only really, truly robust kind of decentralized storage is Arweave. But this community of artists decided they were going to go and house their art securely in a vault, not necessarily because they believed it was the best art and it deserved to be there, but to prove that there was something that mattered to them. And if it mattered to them, it would matter to other people. And it should. And who are we to judge whether it's culturally significant or not? You know, so many artists were not celebrated or valued in their lifetime. And this in, could entirely be the case here. So they've opened up this digital archive. It's called the Non-Fungible Vault in Svalbard. And you go in this disused coal mine and you walk down and you walk down and you're just like, this is nuts. And then there's this kind of small cave with a storage container, and then you get a roll of film in a sealed foil bag, and you put it in the vault, and it's secure, backed up, safe. Can, anybody do, can anybody do that? Yes, you can, anybody. And that's the point. You know, it's, it's, it's not exclusive at all. It should be f for anyone to, to put And you give away your the... rights to it, essentially, meaning that's now for the vault, and they can, it, and whoever discovers it in a thousand years' time or whatever. It, it's to preserve the, the sanctity of the art. I mean, it comes to open source. I mean, it, yeah, it's preserving culture for posterity. I mean, it, it, there's, there's a slightly bittersweet note to all this, which is that part of the world is in the permafrost, but the permafrost is rising the whole time, and that part of the world is, is warming up at a, a great rate of knots. But, I mean, what a crazy trip. That, that was, it was just felt so odd to be talking about NFTs, having kind of done several films recently where I was kind of looking at the, the huge criticisms of, of this space. And to be standing in a vault with real humans and a physical copy of this thing that's, you know, my favorite thing of all, which is celluloid film. I, I, I don't, you've probably never shot on film, but shooting on film is this magical transporting experience that is so organic and beautiful and the mistakes that come through in the grain. It's just, it's like, ah, my God, it's the best thing. So for that to be the way that NFTs are stored, it was kind of this strange Full circle. Oh, what a great life experience and just a, you know, just a great journey. Oh, you should definitely go there. You should definitely go there. It, 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 it's like you, you, you go out into the fjord at the bottom of Longyearbyen and then there's just mountains and you realize that if you go up there, well, that's the Arctic Circle. There is nothing else there. You're in the most northern town in the world. It's pretty cool. So yeah, that, that was a really that was a really exciting trip to to go on, and it's nice to to be able to get out of the studio and film some real stuff because you know so much of we that we talk about is conceptual. It's numbers, it's it's concepts and ideas that you can't visualize or, or create a real impression of, and just there's something very visceral about the cold and the realness and a man with a gun to shoot polar bears, and then NFTs. It's just bizarre, but beautiful at the same time. I love it. Now, I don't know, we're going to get told off for running out of time soon, but I want to talk about one more thing with you, just to get yes. your thoughts, because you've been away and you and I haven't chatted. Really interesting what Luna's doing with Bitcoin. Yeah, it is. It is. So, I mean, Do Kwan is not a, not a stupid guy at all. Um, I don't know if you are aware of Anchor Protocol and, and how important that is within the Lunar ecosystem. Um, but for those who, who don't know, the, Lunar is a, is a layer one that is completely built and architected around DeFi. So it's, it's money lending markets and a whole bunch of other stuff has been built on it. Um, and it's uh, built around this 
algorithmic stablecoin UST, and you can deposit UST into Anchor and get a 20% rate of interest fixed. Fixed. It's sort of slowly dropping, but generally they wanted to establish it as the benchmark interest rate for fixed rate income on crypto. And if you think about 20%, just on your savings in your bank account, in your normal in real life bank account, you would you would be, I mean, you would be knocking, you would be elbowing people out of the way for that rate if it was offered to you by a high street bank. And uh, Luna has basically said, we're not changing that. But so they've had to change everything else. And so they're taking on Bitcoin as, um, as part of their treasury, which as is- As their collateral, which is something I talked about several years ago. And I said, it's a great collateral. It is a great collateral. And it, and it, and you know, it's got that Lindy effect. So the longer it goes on, the more robust it becomes and the more adopted it becomes. And we've got Michael Saylor and every, you know, it's like, it's not a, it's not a dumb move. So they've, they've, they've kind of broadened out the scope of what Terra can be. And that's the wonderful thing. You know, they get criticized, they make changes and, um, they've bought a lot of it as well. Yeah, well, and they're just yeah. going to keep buying it and keep buying it every month. I don't and think so... they've fully started yet, which is kind of weird because Doe has been talking about it. Um, and I and think making they... bets as well. And making bets. And making very, bets, very public bets. I think yeah. they've got $3 billion in Treasury to buy of Bitcoin now. Um, and he thinks, listen, you know, if this works and it attracts people into the space, they'll be at $10 billion before you know it. And what all he wants to be is a larger um, Bitcoin holder than Michael Saylor to show that the space has evolved. Because now it's being used as collateral, and so now you're financializing Bitcoin in a way that didn't exist before. I think it's, it's really interesting. And, it, and it's a diversification of the treasury as well, because yeah. the, the, the whole ecosystem is very dependent on the performance of Luna. And Luna is extremely volatile. It's been doing incredibly well, but when something does incredibly well, it also can go incredibly badly when market sentiment turns against them. But yeah, it's fascinating. And I, and I, I wholeheartedly respect and admire the terror ecosystem, and I have done since I first discovered it, because... There's just all these really beautifully engineered pieces, but it's all about DeFi. It's all about this this simple idea of can your money do a little bit more for you, um, and that that's really all I want out of DeFi. It's just like my choice on the high street or my choice in DeFi. It should should be better in every single way, but there's so many risks attached to it. So we, we'll have to see how that one plays out. Uh, but yeah, big move, send a big signal as well. Uh, yeah, so really interesting, really curious. So I guess our, our time is at an end. It was, well, we were dropping bombs left, right, and center. But the biggest bomb, I think, is that you have bought an ape. And now we are brothers <laughs> in the apehood of, are we douchebags or not? I think we probably are, but that's okay. Probably. It's okay. Probably. Nobody's perfect. Raul, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, this was Real Version versus The Defiant. And we will see you next week for more of the same. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to Real Vision Crypto. For more great crypto content like this, head over to realvision.com forward slash crypto and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.